listening to BC Museum Portraits, and I'm project manager Spencer Stewart. In this episode, we'll be speaking with Executive Director of the Maritime Museum of British Columbia, Brittany Viz. Thank you very much for uh, taking the time to sit down with me and, sure. and, and speak about the uh, Maritime Museum of BC. Great. Thanks for having me. Let, let's start with yourself. How, how did you get started with museums yeah. uh, in general and, and, and specifically with this one? So I actually got into museums from the library side of things. I had started working in library and I had my master's in library and information science. But I had started getting into museums actually by getting involved with this one. So when I graduated with my undergrad, I started volunteering with the Maritime Museum of BC in the library. And that just led into other roles and other work within the museum. What were the early days of the, the museum? How did the collections form? Maybe mm -hmm. some of who, who were the people that were mm -hmm. instrumental in those early times? Mm -hmm. So the collection mostly started with donations from local individuals. It actually started as a Navy museum out on the base at Signal Hill in Esquimalt. And at the time, there was local talk about starting a museum here. There was also a royal visit. At the time, it was Princess Elizabeth and Prince Philip came to visit. And Prince Philip asked at the time, because they were touring around the Navy base, he had asked if there was uh, a maritime museum. And at the time, the answer was no, it was in development. And so Prince Philip then, when he got home, he went to the Greenwich Maritime Museum and told them to send some objects over to help get us started. So some of our early items in the collection are direct results of that request. Mm -hmm. What would you say were some of the stories that were really represented? A lot of the early collection items were mostly from like folks working along the coast, so whether that be in the Navy or the Coast Guard or in the fishing industry. And a lot of that has continued today. So for the most part, our collection is made up of items that have been donated by individuals, so just that they had over their working career or their father had passed away and so here's his items kind of thing. And that's still a large part of how we operate our collections today and how we continue to grow our collections. In terms of thinking about the maritime history of, of this region and, and and along the coast, what are some stories that you're aware of that you feel you want to build out and and possibly uh, enrich the collection with and, and, and try to tell in these in these exhibitions? I think there's definitely a need for us to explore more cultural history beyond just the European perspective. A large part of our collection has been based on the European pers perspective and activities on this coast, but of course, as we know, there's a lot more beyond that. And I think there's definitely a role for us to be playing by sharing those stories. A big part of the experience on the coast is mm. being on board vessels. And of course, there's yeah different kinds of vessels and many different ways to interact with the waterways. You have in the temporary space, you have the, the anchor demonstrations as well mm -hmm. as the video. Mm -hmm. uh, how, how do you go about building exhibitions? Uh, what's mm -hmm. your process? It really starts with an idea. And from there, how it develops really depends on the topic. For us, if we're, just, if we're doing it a topic area that we can kind of cover internally with our own collections and our own stories that we've collected over the years, then it's a fairly straightforward process and we just do the internal research and preparation ourselves. However, we've been doing a lot more work with the community and work with other organizations as well. So it really depends on the topic area and who might be involved in that. Mm -hmm. yeah. What are some uh, collaborations that you've been doing? Over the last few years, one of the biggest ones that we've done uh, was actually back in 2018. We had done a traveling exhibit on the sinking of the Princess Sophia. 
and with that exhibit, uh, it was a traveling exhibit, so we had developed it, but we had partnered with the Vancouver Maritime Museum as well as the Yukon Art Center and the Alaska State Museum because that vessel sunk off the coast of Juneau, Alaska. So that was an international project that was uh, that took several years to build and develop and then a year's worth of traveling. It also went to a couple smaller communities like Port Alberni and Tofino. Looking at the holdings, what are some materials that uh, that have you thinking about possible exhibitions for the mm. future? It can actually be quite overwhelming to think of all the different exhibit topics we want to get in, but one that we're really excited about coming up for uh, this next spring and summer is that we're going to be doing an exhibit called Queer at Sea. Mm. And so that exhibit will look at the experiences of the two best LGBTQ plus uh, communities and what their experiences have been like working in maritime trades. Were there a couple of items that had you start thinking about that? Not the... really items necessarily. We, we did receive a donation of archival material from uh, a trans woman who had spent her career as a man on the coast and did spring like a few questions of what what was her experience like with that and of course you know, she's obviously not the only one it's just been a topic that we've had percolating for a few years now so we're really excited to be able to finally develop it and, and bring it up to the community in addition to to those materials what are some other materials that have, have come in that have been mm. really exciting we've had it's actually on display right now we had a starboard light come in from the sinking of the valencia mm. Um, so that that ship wrecked in 1906, and there's um, very few objects that, at least that we're aware of, that exist from the shipwrecks. So to have that one come in was really exciting. We've also had some really interesting uniform pieces come in that have helped to round out our collection, and we just got a donation actually of some artwork that we're hoping to share soon enough as well. Mm. Yeah, you're, you're mentioning that you you have this site in in downtown mm -hmm. uh, Victoria. You, you'd you'd gone through a move in in recent years. So. Mm -hmm. What was that process like? But back in 2014-15, the museum moved from our, our large long-term home of uh, about 50 years from Bastion Square. So we moved in at the end of 2015. We had moved at that time into another location downtown, and that was a significant downsize for us. And just this summer, we've since moved to another smaller downtown uh, location. We're still working on trying to find a larger long-term permanent home. But yeah, move process this latest one luckily wasn't it wasn't nearly the big ordeal as moving out of Bastion Square was because we just had to move the, our public space so we were just moving our exhibits and offices but we didn't have to move the collection and the collection stays in in the Bastion Square space or is it no is it, it had moved store? as well yeah facility yeah and that process of moving, were you able to look at the collection in a new light? We have quite a large collection of about 35,000 to 40,000 objects, as well as archival material and a library collection of about 8,500 books. Moving that, of course, it took a lot of effort and a lot of energy, not just from the staff, but there was a huge team of volunteers helping with that. That definitely helped to unearth some things. It actually gave us the opportunity to get our collection a lot more organized. So it's now much easier to go through and find anything that we want to be uh, pulling for any research or any exhibits. You're mentioning the volunteers that were helping. Mm -hmm. What are some of your strategies uh, and programs for outreach uh, to engage with the community? We actually, we run a lot of different programs. We run a series of school programs. We also have seniors programs. All of our programs we can take out to the community. So we can offer them here on site. If a school group wants to come down for a field trip, we can accommodate that. For the most part, they like us to go out to them because it's just a bit easier. So we, we go out to school groups, we go out into seniors' homes. We also offer here on site on Saturdays some activities for people to come and participate in. Like we have a museum tots program for ages three to five. And then uh, we've got craft workshops Saturdays as well. 
and we've just started a new series called Maritime Masterclasses, which is a little bit more like practical skills based. So we just had our inaugural one this past Saturday, which was 10 knots you need to know. And then coming up, we'll also have some on, on navigation techniques and whatnot as well. One thing that we're really proud of doing is that we, through some funding with the Victoria Foundation, we've been able to make all of our programs for free to local vulnerable and marginalized groups. So how we do that is we reach out to um, other nonprofits in town that just provide services to people experiencing homelessness or people with diverse abilities, newcomers into town. And we basically, they, they'll book our programs on behalf of their clients and customers. We'll, again, we'll take our, our activities out to them or they'll come to us and we're, we modify them based on the, the group's unique need. COVID's obviously impacted that quite a bit, but we've still been able to continue those and maintain those new relationships. So that's been something we've been doing since about 2019. What are some independent research projects that have made use of the, uh, the holdings in the collection for publications or mm. documentaries? Going back to the Princess Sophia project, as part of that, we had done a lot of research into the people on board because there, there were no survivors at the time and there are like very few records existing. So we did go in and do a lot of research into every single individual that we could find and we got what we feel is the most complete or most accurate list to date of the people. Um, and then from that, we actually produced a publication with, with that information on all the individuals. Wow. Lots of family members and descendants of people who had perished on the Sapphire, which then led to them donating some of their items to us, so it helped us to grow the collection as well. Huh. What are some aspirations that you have for the museum, and, and maybe what are some uh, obstacles? We do want to have a larger home for our public space. So right now we're in about 3,000 square feet. And we had previously been in the Bastion Square location, we had 26,000 square feet. So we'd like to try and get back up so that way we can have more space to accommodate more people and share more stories. So that's definitely a, a big one that's a top priority of our board right now. And then beyond that, you're continuing to engage with and work with different cultures that are underrepresented in the museum currently. We're looking to do a lot of relationship building with Indigenous communities. Brittany, thank you very much for taking the time sure. to sit down and speak with me. Yeah, thank you. This has been another BC Museum Portrait. BC Museum Portraits is done in partnership with the BC Museum Association. To hear more portraits and view the accompanying images made by project photographer Tayu Hayward, please go to museum.bc.ca. Thank you very much for listening. Until next time.